Welcome once again, everyone, to the Baseball America podcast, along with Will Lingo. I'm John Manuel. Thanks for the download. Spring training is upon us, Will. The college baseball season is starting. Very exciting time of year. Pitchers and catchers have reported. They're actually, uh, we'll actually have games to talk about soon. Most of our books have gone to press. Yeah. It's a wonderful time of the year. I wasn't even talking about that, but uh, (laughs) I'm excited about that as well. So uh, we'll take your questions as usual at podcast at baseballamerica.com. We're keeping up our New Year's resolution to take more and read more email here on the Baseball America podcast. So send them in, Jerome, podcast at baseballamerica.com. But uh, first and foremost, Will, next week, to be unveiled at baseballamerica.com, we got, uh, I think, really what most of our readers have been waiting for all year. That's Baseball America's Top 100. Often and, imitated, but never duplicated. Yeah, the, the, the great thing is that it's more often, more often imitated these days, because I think everyone... Uh, uh, realize this is a good thing to do. It's a fun thing to do. Always love to see the uh, the other ones, and uh, always love to, uh, to to go through the process ourselves. Uh, it's it's very difficult to go through it, and I I think I, can, I think the thing I like best about our top 100 is actually the process because mm-hmm. you have to take your time and really realize: Do I really think that this guy is really more valuable in a major league context or a major league club than this other guy will be? And you're balancing ceiling and and the great uh, likelihood of reaching that ceiling and all those things together. And the great thing about doing it with not just yourself is that when somebody challenges your ranking, not from a bad perspective, right. but when somebody just says, why did you rank this guy ahead of that guy, you actually have to think about, well, you know, maybe I don't like that guy as much as I thought. Or maybe I like sort him. of develop, like, in your head a little thumbnail sketch of what you think the guy's going to be, but right. then... When you're forced to examine it a little bit more deeply, you think, well, I think I'm a little bit wrong on that. So. And everybody, and you know, our process to explain a little bit is essentially you, me, uh, Will, uh, you know, Chris Klein, and Jim Callis this year put together our own personal top 150s, and then we put them into spreadsheet form and merged them all together and had a consensus 150, and then uh, kind of went down how it turned out on the votes and kind of debated guys back and forth and... We've done that for four or five years now. Oh, we've done it longer than that. But, yeah, it's, it's a great way to do it because, first of all, the sort of the... Is that always the method? Has that been the methodology? I thought that it was only... That, it's been that way for a while. I thought it was only recently in the last five years or six years that we did it that way, and before that it was more like, okay, who's number one? For next... Who's number <laughs> for next, two? For the very first one, before either of us were here, it was the entire staff gathered around the table and went down the list one by one and... The meeting took five hours, and I'm sure nobody was happy when it was over. See, if we had um, more time, I would love to do that, but we just don't have that kind of time. I just don't think that's productive. <laughs> I mean, maybe do, for the top, maybe for the top ten, you could do that that's and really saying. get into the nitty gritty. But I mean, for thirty to seventy, you know, there's not a whole lot of separation between those guys. That's why I don't. I don't think it would take five hours anymore. I think that we all realize that there's not a huge, like you know, in some organizations. There's a chasm between number five and six, mm-hmm. or number thirteen and number fourteen. But in a lot, they're not. But in the top one hundred, players at number ninety, the one hundred range, those guys could be pretty good. Mm-hmm. And Drew Stubbs is number one hundred. I'll give away Drew Stubbs. I'm pretty sure Jim Callis has in a chat. <laughs> so Drew Stubbs is number one hundred. You know, Drew Stubbs is an all-star profile. Mm-hmm. He's a eighty runner, maybe a seventy runner, but he, he was six three sixty at his best. He's a premium defender with a good arm, and he's got big-time power. I know that's why Jim has always liked him, because even if he doesn't become 
even an average hitter, he's still going to be a good big leaguer if he does everything else he's supposed to do. Right. He should be, at the very least, a fourth outfielder because of his defense and running ability. And that's But, but his upside is pretty high, and that's at number 100. But uh, we're not going to give away our top also, 100 today. When, when you go through the list one by one, one, it's almost like if somebody in authority brings up, all right, I had so-and-so at number 10. Even if you had him at number 50, you're... I don't know. I think that affects how you are going to throw somebody out for discussion. Right. When you ha- when you just you have to when you have to rank guys one through one fifty when you have to slot one hundred and fifty players, it really makes you think about that. And then the spreadsheet is unforgiving. You just throw it all into the spreadsheet and let the numbers come out however they come out. And then obviously we we mess with it once we get the raw numbers. But it also gives you a chance to see like whoa, I was way off on this guy for right. some reason. Or, you know, maybe, uh, I don't even remember the player. It was one of the new Japanese pitchers where I just slotted him into my spreadsheet to make sure I thought about him, but then never moved him. So I had him ranked at like 40 or 50, and he didn't even belong in the top 100. So mistakes like that get weeded out through the process. Yeah. So I was I was confronted. useful. I was confronted in the group uh, spreadsheet at the end with like, would rank here John's mistake. Would rank here John's mistake because I left that was, out a couple that was players. Their own self-admitted mistake. We would never uh, expose someone in that way in the meeting. Well, one of the great things that we're doing differently is that we're doing two different things uh, with this year's top 100. Uh, well, we'll have a prospect depth chart, which is cool. I'm not sure how different that necessarily is, but I like the prospect depth one, chart. One different thing about it is that we're listing guys in the depth chart where we think they're going to end up, not where they're playing now. So. Which is the way we do it in the handbook. Right, so it gives you a little bit different perspective on, on some guys. It's, it doesn't result in a whole lot of movement, but it does give you, I think, a little bit better picture of, of a player's true value. But we're also doing others receiving votes, which we don't even do in our college top 25 rankings because there are no votes, they're just rankings. That is a but, hammered out 1 to 25. And that is uh, from uh, Chimpan Kevin Ahrens to Chimpan Z <laughs> Jordan Zimmerman. Uh, so players from A to Z who also got votes in the top 150 uh, from, uh, I guess, the, from the high of uh, someone like uh, Brad Lincoln, who was on one person's top 100 and not on anyone else's top 150, um, to guys like uh, Michael Burgess or Madison Bumgarner, who all four of us voted for right. on our 150s but just didn't get enough votes to get in the top 100. And then when we really set it on it, none of us really thought, you know, I'm going to really go out on a limb and fight for this guy to get in the top 100. Yeah, so it is a collective. It'll be interesting for people to look at that and see, like, wow, this guy got four votes. He was just on the cusp. Right. I think if there's strengths and weaknesses to it being the collective, but I think I'd much rather have it. I love our process because I think all of us are bringing information from different organizations, from different minor leagues where we know those players better than others and we can advocate for that kind of stuff and try to convince the rest of us. Not, I like our process. And it shows you how many different players are considered for the list. I mean, there's 92 guys who didn't make the list who got votes in the top 150. So, so. 100, 192 names that were considered, basically, which yeah. is pretty, which I think is pretty interesting. It's the Baseball America podcast. He's Will. I'm John. The other big feature that we did with our top 100 last year, we did risk factors, which I think we, we really liked risk factors, uh, bringing up here best case and worst case scenarios for these players. And, you know, James Loney was a great example of a risk factor player who we all liked him, and he was in like, like number 42. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, I think we were all, and I think a lot of scouts are the same way, a little tentative maybe on James Loney in case he becomes the next Sean Burroughs. 
And in 2007, he started to look like he's not going to become the next Sean Burroughs. Right. The power and started to show up. And our best case scenario for him was John Olrude. Right. And now he looks like he's going to be better. Maybe better. Better than his best case scenario. Well, if he ever hits 360, that'll be something. We'll see. Well, that's true. But And his worst case was Travis Lee. I think he's already avoided his worst case. But Luckily, he plays hard. He'll avoid <laughs> that one. Um, and then we've got uh, – and, and Will Inman was a fascinating one when we mm-hmm. did risk factors – we were kind of like, you know, we've never ranked a player like Will we in, in the top 100. feeling when we were doing that one, looking for the guys. Because the worst case and best case guys we compared with were guys that had been in the top 100 in the past. And when we looked back at past top 100s to try to find guys like Will Inman, it's like, ooh, we've never ranked anybody never, like this, really. Never ranked the short right-hander with average stuff and plus <laughs> command. We've just never done that. And I mean average stuff. There's not even like a plus change-up. Uh, that kind of thing. So it'll be interesting to see how Williman shows mm-hmm. up. Williman got the double A by the end of last year and got traded and fell off the top 100. And in fact, I don't think he got any votes for the 150. No, I think I voted for him. I was just checking the. Uh, Did oh, you, really? you, know, you know, actually, I didn't because he's not on the others receiving votes. Doesn't think, mean that we don't like Williman. I think I considered him and ended up not putting him in the top. 100. I think that now we we're we're a little bit more convinced. He's got work to do to convince us that he's not just the. Guy who throws strikes and has a good breaking ball who dominates a ball. That's that's kind of the impression I think we have of Willman. And those guys are uh, fairly prevalent. Sean Gallagher is a guy who's busted out of that, mm-hmm. who improved his velocity as he's been in the minor leagues and has continued to have success at upper levels because his fastball is not fringy. So, uh, he still gets underrated. And I, th- I think he is still underrated by him. That's actually the Will Inman comp. Is, is he going to turn into Sean yeah. Gallagher or is he going to turn into... Oh, I don't know, John Connolly, who was left-handed. But the and this year, the split decisions does kind of take you inside the process a little bit because it's that's what we talk about after we go through the consensus list. After we you know, compile the consensus list, we look at guys. Jim is especially good at sort of highlighting those cases where you, know, you have this outfielder at 50 and this outfielder at 60. Why is this guy 10 spots better than that guy? Or why is this guy who was drafted fifth ahead of this guy who was drafted first. Right, so no risk factor this year. This year was split decision, and, uh, you know, I, I think really the, the one of the ones that kicked it off was a winter of arguing between me and Jim Callis of who's better, Jabba Chamberlain uh-huh. or Clay Buckholz. And those guys are both in the top ten and rank among the top pitching prospects in the, in the game, no doubt. Um, and we really are kind of split as a staff of who's better. I'm not going to tell you who ended up being ahead of it, but obviously Jerry Krasnick talked about it on ESPN.com and quoted me and Jim about it, and it was pretty funny. He talked to both of us when he got that assignment, and we predicted exactly what the other <laughs> would say about Jabba Chamberlain versus Clay Buckholz. I'm on the Jabba Chamberlain side, um, and Jim is on the Clay Buckholz side. I, I think you're on the Clay Buckholz side, aren't I'm you? I'm slightly on the Clay Buckholz side, but I'm not nearly as, as like Jim, definitely. I mean, it, and it stands to reason Jim did the Red Sox list, you did the Yankees list. Right. You always like the guys you... Have ranked you. You tend to like the guys you rank more than other guys. So I think I would give Buckholz the slight nod, but I mean, both I think of those it was, guys are studs. I think it was three to one Buckholz until I uh, <laughs> convinced uh, Chris Klein to come over to the dark side with me. I, he wasn't I, convicted. About I was. That, he was decision. not convicted, and I, I was his Sith Lord. I want. <laughs> I want him over to the to the Yankee side of it with Jabba Chamberlain because I think he was number eight on Chris's initial. Uh, personal top 50, and then by the time I got done with him, he was number four. So, <laughs> well, those two guys are going to be on the cover if you're looking for the issue when it arrives in your mailbox or newsstand. So 
that's obviously sort of the highlight battle, but then there are other little battles like that throughout the list. And what um, you'll get, you'll get five in the magazine and ten online. I also like that. You're going to get bonus split decisions online. Right, because we have, like I said, we have these types of arguments throughout the list. And another interesting way to split it, we didn't do this, but the place where we monkey with the list the most is really from 90 to 110 you know, if you get on the top 100 from 90 to 100, you're definitely vulnerable because Correct. when you look at the guys, the next 10 to 15 guys who didn't make the list to see, you know, why they didn't make the list and how they stack up against guys that did. So that's always an interesting place to to look for guys, too. And that's when, you know, one of our split decisions involved a guy toward the back of the list. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, you know, we don't have a whole lot of relief pitchers ranked, and that stands to reason. It's hard to figure out who the closer is going to be. Uh, the big-time major league closers are, and most of the time they're starters in the minor leagues. Right, there are very few guys who are groomed as closers as they come up through the minor right. leagues. And organizations are hoping that these guys will still start. A guy like maybe a Max Scherzer, I think the Diamondbacks might still give him one more shot to start, but more likely he's going to go to the bullpen where he was outstanding in the Arizona Fall League. Right. And then you're contrasting him with a guy like Chris Perez, who was a college closer at Miami and as a minor league closer, and probably will start out as a major league setup man and you know, both those guys made the top 100, but I think we all kind of ended up agreeing that Chris Perez ended up lower than maybe he kind of should. But I think the fact that he is... I'm not sure he would have even made the list if I hadn't ranked him as high as I did. But, I mean, to me it was the split decision between Scherzer and Perez. If you think Scherzer's going to be a closer, I think his stuff is better than Perez's, but it's not a whole lot better. Right. I and think you're... they're both going to be closers, and Perez has proven, I mean, he's closed, like you say, forever and has proven himself, uh, I, don't, I don't see a huge difference between those guys. And I guess that's the, that is really the question. It's, I think that's the reason I rank Chris Perez lower in my head is that's just a rare guy who closed in college, mm-hmm. then closed in the minors, and then closed in the major leagues. Usually the guys who do that get to the big leagues a, lo- a little quicker. Um, and so is he going to be David Ardsma, a journeyman guy, or is he going to be Chad Cordero or Houston Street? Is he going to be Matt Anderson, or is he going to be... Greg Olson. I mean, that's mm-hmm. that's really the college closer profile. That's just a lot of it's fifty fifty. You're the, those guys end up being really good immediately, or they usually end up being journeyman guys. And that's why I'm just to me. So to me, Chris Perez. This will probably be his last year in the top 100, no matter what. Yeah, he's either going to be an established big league guy by next year, or he's going to be a guy who I will lose faith in because the college yeah, he closer definitely spend off season in the big leagues and. Obviously, if Isringhausen doesn't get hurt, he's he's going to set up. But right, I think he is their closer in waiting. One last, uh, I think, uh, split decision that's, that's a fun one to talk about uh, and got some debate going uh, was our first baseman. Um, we have we have the apples and oranges. We have Kasuke Fukudome, really Jason Howard. One. I know you like that one. Uh, we'll talk about that one. So the first baseman that is interesting because Jason Hayward and Kasuke Fukudome end up very close to each other. In our top 100, as it turns out, and one guy's a 30-year-old, basically big league free agent. The other guy is a raw, just drafted high school outfielder yeah, from Atlanta. Argu- most of the arguments we end up having are about guys with the same profile, and why do you rank one guy ahead of another one? This like is- first baseman Lars Anderson, Joey Votto, and Derek Barton, or the closers we just talked about. Right, and you know it's different degrees of similarity, and then you sort of really get down to the nitty-gritty of their profiles and what one has that another doesn't. And I like this one because it is just completely opposite players, a finished product who you're pretty sure what you're going to get, and then a guy who has an unlimited ceiling just about, but you really have no idea how he's going to tap into it yet. 
And we ranked uh, we ranked them very close to each other. Like I said, uh, I ended up ranking Hayward higher just because I just believe if anyone's going to rank the young high school guy higher, it should be us. <laughs> I mean, that's you know, I'm just philosophically, I've bought, I've bought into that. I've had that. Mm-hmm. I drank that Kool Aid a long time ago. <laughs> So uh, I have another swig with Jason Hayward and rank him ahead of Kasuke Fukudome. And I like Fukudome better just because he is a finished product. You know what you're going to get. I think he's going to be sort of a blend of Ichiro and Hideki Matsui. And, you know, it's a sure bet. But I love Jason Hayward, too. So I'm just struggling to not make an inappropriately un-PC comment. So uh, we'll move on. Yeah, Jason Stark had a great reference to that. I'm not going to phrase it as artfully as he did, but he... he did refer to him as like the most carefully pronounced name of spring training or something correct correct that's kind of where i was headed so uh we're really looking forward to it i hope you are too uh gonna have a nice uh i think it's gonna look great online and uh i really like how the split decisions turned out for us in our top 100 so that's coming tuesday at baseballamerica.com i think we're also going to have a top 100 prospects related contest for people so they should also visit the site to check that out as well you can uh you can tell your friends that you want a contest and it's an easier one to win, I believe, than the uh, Seinfeld contest. With actual prizes. Correct, from Majestic, sponsored by Majestic. And so, so we're looking forward to that. Finally, to wrap up this week's podcast, we've gone most of this uh, winter, Will, without talking much about Project Runway. But let's sum up. We're getting ready. We're down to cases of Project Runway, a personal uh, f- uh, favorite of, of Will's and of mine, uh, as far as a reality TV show goes. Uh, we're down to the final four, uh, Will. Who's your prediction? Of who wins between Rami, Chris, March, uh, Jillian, and uh, Fierce Christian? I'm going to go with Jillian in an upset. I think Christian is the safe bet because he's just been so good all season long. But I think Jillian, with basically unlimited time to put together clothes, she was always the one who struggled with time management and always Correct. had to slap everything together at the last minute um, and still performed well. I think with... Unlimited time, she's gonna she's gonna shine. I agree with you. Actually, I'm on the Jillian bandwagon mostly because I really just don't like Christian. He's yeah, a little too think, fierce for my taste. I think he is definitely one the, of the most the arrogant, most hated person on this on this season. But see, edition. you're wrong because now I'm gonna spoil a little spoiler for you. If you haven't watched the reunion show, he won the fan favorite. Really? He won the wow. ten the ten girl check for fan favorite, uh, which I I was stunned That's, that he won the ten thousand dollars. Just loved his. Hear him say fierce every week. I guess so, but, but I also uh, think uh, Chris is. I hope he goes to the to the final show because I just think his his runway show would be very interesting. He'd say dark horse would be more like dark buffalo or <laughs> dark ox when you're talking about Chris March. Yeah, you gotta does. love it when the fat guy makes fat jokes. That's pitiful <laughs> to me, really. But I think he could do an over the top show, and I think Rami has proven that he is a one note guy, and. He was a very talented one-note guy, and that's what has gotten him through the season, but it seemed like the judges soured on him as the season went along and very grudgingly didn't boot him off the last show. I think Rami could win European um, or Middle Eastern uh, <laughs> Project Runway, but I don't think he's got American enough taste to win a Project Runway. When we're talking about American designer, top yeah. American designer, Michael Kors, <laughs> and Nina Garcia. So uh, it's Nina. a fun show. Which was your favorite challenge of the year? Ooh, I liked. I thought this was a really good season for challenges. I really liked the one where they designed the prom tre- prom dress for the high school. That was girls. interesting. Um, the wrestling one was good. Wow, 
I like the transfer the transformed women. That was the fat women who lost like large amounts of weight, mm-hmm, that was and they good. had to redesign their clothes. Plus, it got rid of my least favorite person on the show. The the guy who was bald to always yeah. talk like this, like couldn't stand yeah, it. He, he that was a disastrous performance in that show. He was yeah. disastrous, and I was very happy to have him off the show. And my least favorite easily was the Tiki Barber episode. Yes, Tiki Barber, hella lame. <laughs> that was uh, to sum up uh, very quickly. So it's a, it's a fun show. We're on the final four. The last two, I guess they have two more shows to go. You have the elimination of Rami versus Chris, and then I think you have the next show after that, which is the final Bryant Park runway show. So. Uh, if you're, if you're going to watch one, uh, if you're going to break your Lenten, uh, <laughs> your Lenten, uh, fast of no live TV, as Will Lingo is trying to do, of no TV other than live sports, events. basically live ACC basketball at this point, at this point in time, uh, that's one to break it for. So, uh, again, send those questions to us for next week. We actually, uh, did not get any, uh, new podcast question other than Steve from Sturbridge. Well, I actually uh, emailed uh, back. He was asking about Jay Brent Cox, the former University of Texas pitcher in the Yankee system. Uh, but Steve uh, was asking about Jay Brent Cox. and uh, Jay Brent Cox was not expected to be ready for, for opening day. Uh, last I talked to the, to the jockeys about him was back in early December. And Jay Brent Cox was expected to be throwing off flat ground and transition to throw into a mound by spring training. If there were no setbacks, he would come back by midseason. But, uh, you know, they're going to be very cautious. The Yankees have plenty of Tommy John pitchers who are coming back, and Jay Brent Cox is one. And the Yankees like to go more on the 18-month comeback rather than the 12- or 11-month come, comeback that some of these Tommy John alumni are going through. But uh, Yeah, there's really no reason to rush that anyway. It's going gonna, it's gonna to take two years to return to form anyway. So. Right. I don't think you're going to know what you have in Jay Brent Cox until 2009. Just like I don't think you're going to know what you have in Andrew Brackman until 2009, which, in which case I find it curious they gave him so much money. But they were buying him out of the NBA, too, and they are convicted about <laughs> Andrew Brackman. That is for certain. So uh, we're convicted about the podcast. We appreciate the download, and thank you again. Send those questions into us at podcast at baseballamerica.com. I'll be back on Monday with Aaron Fit for our first weekly college podcast, and we'll be back Tuesday to talk uh, Top 100, I think. It's really uh, going to be a fun college week. season, too. I think the... The compacted college schedule, I think, is a mess in a lot of ways. But I really like the way it organizes the season almost like college football. Like Unintended you, consequences. You know, be... you know the season begins this weekend. It's not sort of drips and drabs for a month and then everything's underway. Oh, there'll be some positives, there's no doubt. And we'll report on them all at BaseballAmerica.com. For Will, I'm John. We'll talk to you next week. So long, everybody. After the end of a good fight, you deserve an ice-cold reward. Medela is the mark of a fighter. You've earned this rich golden lager with a crisp, refreshing taste. Because you know, the bigger the fight, the better the reward. You put in the hours, the energy, the tough labor. You are a fighter. Medela is your reward. Medela, the mark of a fighter. Drink responsibly. Beer imported by Crown Port, Chicago, Illinois.